Hello, my name is Betsy Rubarsik, and I'm your host of Teachers Show Me the World, a podcast for teachers who want to venture beyond the four walls of their classroom and make their subject come to life through educational travel. This podcast will be a toolbox of tips, tricks, and resources that will enable you to create a world travel program at your school that will enhance your students' education through life-changing, hands-on, experiential learning and help you become a teacher who shows your students the world. Welcome to another episode of Teacher Show Me the World. I am extremely excited about this particular episode. I had the opportunity to sit and chat with one of my all-time favorite tour directors that I've ever had. Her name is Slegina, and she is from The Land Down Under, and she and I get to talk all things tour director-related information. So this is the sort of episode that if you've always wondered what a tour director wished her group leader knew before they came on tour, then this is an episode you do not want to miss. It is a tell-all episode. So get ready, get comfortable. We got lots of stories that we're sharing, and you are just going to fall in love with Sledgena. And to be honest with you, after you listen to this episode, I bet you, you'll want to book her for your next TD on your next tour. Well, hello, my friend. Long time no talk. It has been far too long. It has been so long, but it doesn't feel like it now that we're talking. No, it doesn't. It all does it. Honestly, when you said earlier in our conversation that it's been almost 10 years since we last saw each other, like it has gone by in a blip. It's crazy to think how fast time has gone. So it is. It really does. It's wonderful to be able to connect with you. And I hope that this whole experience will rekindle our new friendship. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it and to celebrating a reunion when you next come down. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to request <laughs> you next summer. So 2025 in June. So put it in the books. <laughs> well, put it in the books. All right. Well, my goodness, I feel like um, we've been talking for ages already, but we need to introduce yourself. So actually, my friend, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. So my name is Sludgena, Um, and everyone calls me Sludge. So um, <laughs> across many, many tours, there's this one tour guide called Sludge. I have had the privilege of, I've always thought it was a dream-making business, right? Um, I've had the privilege of being a tour director for, this is my 19th year. Wow. Um, and my 12th year in a full-time capacity. So the initial years was just seasonal. Um and I think one of the greatest joys is that I get to witness people's dreams come true on any on any given day. And that is what fills my cup. And I guess that's what the that that's the adrenaline rush that I get. So uh when I'm not tour guiding and showcasing this beautiful part of the world, be you know, be it Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, or the Cook Islands, I am then an avid explorer because when I'm exploring, I feel the most alive. And I think that is what brings me great joy. So it's nice to do, nice to do both. Yes. And we were definitely kindred spirits with that. In fact, 
um, I wanted to have you just kind of mention just a little bit about your passion of travel and just share where you've been recently and then how that passion has kind of transitioned into this career of being a TD. I cannot believe it's been 19 years. I've actually been teaching for 23. And so, yeah, I know, I know. Um, And I feel in some capacity, I get to be a teacher, just that my, my classroom changes every day as do my, my students, right? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Do you know that one of my favorite quotes is it's an anonymous quote. It says, not all classrooms have four walls and you encapsulate that really. (laughs) You really do. I love it. I, um, I just got back from completing what was a really big life goal of mine. And that was to explore all seven continents. And I just spent the most incredible three months exploring South America and Antarctica, um, which really, really is no place like it on earth. And it's just incredibly magical and so fortunate that it is opened up now to so many visitors. You know, it was such a sort of scientific based part of the world where it was only scientists that were going out there and doing research. And now we're actually able to do sustainable tourism into one of the most remotest corners of this planet. So were you doing any scouting thinking that you might want to lead a tour there one day? (laughs) Honestly, I think everyone needs to have it on their bucket list, but there was something really special where I could just be in the experience and, and not be the one leading it. So that, that I think was really special. Definitely. You know, you keep talking about how special uh, Antarctica is. And for me, being in Michigan, where I just look at piles and piles of snow nonstop this time of year, and you're in sunny Australia, I don't know, I need some convincing on that one. <laughs> oh, well, yes, you know, I, I guess the fact that I was 21 the first time I ever saw snow, and that was in America. I was 21 the first time I saw snow. So um, my fascination with it is um, probably a little bit different than people that experience having to shovel snow from their driveway uh, year on, year on, year on, um, year on end. So I think what's really just special in Antarctica for me in particular was the ability to really decompress, to quieten down the nervous system. Um, I switched my phone on airplane mode once I walked up that gangway and I didn't turn it back on, uh, off, I should say, until I came back to shore 14 days later. And there's no evidence of man. It's just pristine. It really is. There's no buildings. There's, you know, there's a couple of little um, scientific sites, but other than that, it's kind of just as God or the universe and nature intended it to be. And that yeah, I have to, I have to know what did the stars look like? You probably saw constellations that you never knew existed. No, didn't get to see stars because it was daylight. Oh, I didn't even think about that. You're right. Yeah, so we we had dusk. We didn't really get darkness. Um, you know, I I camped one night on the continent and I had to wear an eye mask because even at midnight it was still bright. So <laughs> I look at the photos and I look at the time that I took it. I'm like that was taken at 4 a.m. and it was bright. So, no, it was what was special was when I got back to Buenos Aires and then I saw the night sky and I saw the moon and I was like, oh, wow, I haven't seen stars. Wow. 
You know, I've been to Alaska in the summer, so I, yeah, I know the okay. twilight duskness that you're referring to, but I just pictured, you know, to be down in Antarctica, it'd be so thrilling to see that the constellations. Cause I remember visiting when we were in Australia, seeing the Southern cross for the first time. And cause you know, we Northern hemisphere people, we don't see that. And so yeah. that's too bad that you didn't get to see that experience. That would have been worth, mm. worth seeing. No, I, I need to go back when it's winter. Oh, where it's no. complete darkness. So <laughs> no. I might save that for the northern part of the world and do um, the northern lights. I, that That is definitely still on the bucket list. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to ask. I'm about to uh, experience my 50th country in a couple of weeks. I know you're well beyond my, me. How many do you have under your belt right now? I am just over 70. Oh, man, you make me look like a slacker. <laughs> no, 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 no. So as you were saying, um, you have this adventurous spirit, this um, passion for exploration. You and I are definitely kindred spirits like that. I'm wired the exact same way. And uh, unfortunately, um, my job does not permit me to travel as much as you. So how did you actually get into that role? It was serendipitous. I was, um, I applied online. I was a sales rep at the time and it was I was on the road even then um, traveling and I saw an application and I applied for a, a company here in, in Australia. It was a 21-day training trip for six weeks work or six weeks worth of paid tour guiding work. So it was just meant to be a small little contract kind of thing. Um, and for the first couple of seasons, I think it was the first two or three years, I just did the seasonal work over our, your summer, our winter. Um, and I just fell in love and it just evolved to the point that when the opportunity came to make this a career, it became the career that it is today. And it was never planned. Um, it was just combining my love for travel. And then I really love mentoring. So I loved that I was, I mean, I now host guests of all ages, be it families and, and student groups and retiree groups. So across the, you know, across the board of, of demographics. But when I was first starting, the focus was student travel. And I really wanted to instill in them a love to educate themselves beyond the classroom. And I always said, and my, my quote was always, travel is the one thing you buy that makes you richer. Um, yes, I have never forgotten that there, quote that you there said. There you go. That is, I actually have it in my there classroom you go. Like I think yeah. you can go and buy your fancy clothes or fancy cars and all of this stuff and have those things taken away from you, but no one can ever take away the intricate uh, fabric that's weaved inside your soul from what you get when traveling. And when I get to meet students um, at that very early onset of their traveling careers, that's just something that I really hope that I can impart on them to inspire them to want to see more of the world. Because the more we see, the more we realize how alike we all are, whichever order of the globe we come from. Um, and I've always felt my role has been a real privilege because at the other end of the spectrum, when I'm traveling with retirees and you know they've had their bucket list and I get to witness their eyes well up with tears when they see that southern cross or they hold that koala I just feel like I'm I'm witnessing magic and miracles and 
You must it feel is. like Santa Claus year round. <laughs> it, it really does. That's why I say, I'm yes, I'm a tour guide, but I actually feel like I'm in the dream making business. And yeah. that's probably the thing that I get the most um, excited about. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I know that um, honestly, out of all of the groups that I've gone or taken rather, and all of the different TDs I've had, you have always been that one standout TD. And so I'm, as I said, I'm very optimistic that I'll get you next summer, but um, <laughs> you, you brought things alive. I could, your, your passion was infectious and never before had I had a, a TD that really knew their country as well as you did and the history. And I love the fact that you even shared some of the darker sides of the stories of um, Australia and everything and just everything that my students took away literally were life-changing. And so you started quite a phenomenon and I know that you have instilled the passion of travel for so many, so many people. Just an estimate. How many tours do you think you've done in your career? Just like, give me a ballpark. Uh, I don't know the number of tours, but once I actually kind of calculated how many passengers I probably had travel with me, and it was close to 9,000 people that have that Oh, have been, my goodness. Uh, wow. And that was probably, to be fair, I think I did that calculation in the pre-COVID world, so it's probably a little bit more than that, but um, yeah. So you have definitely left a fingerprint and... Uh, have an impact on all of our lives. Well, the main reason that I want to talk to you today is because you are just this, this plethora of knowledge. And I know that on this podcast, my listeners are a lot of new group leaders. They um, are, a lot of them are well-seasoned group leaders, but they rarely get to hear from a tour director's perspective of different things that they could perhaps prepare for better before departure or maybe on tour, um, different aspects that perhaps they could improve upon before your paths actually meet up. And so I wanted to ask you if you could give recommendations for any new group leader, and you can actually segment them based upon a new group leader or a seasoned one, that's up to you. But any sort of advice as a tour director, speak some wisdom to these people. What would you say to them as they're preparing? Because I know in just a few weeks, our big our big spring break yep. um, season is going to be happening. And then that just transitions right into June and summer break. And so there's a lot of GLs okay. who are scrambling and leaving in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. So firstly, I just want to, you know, congratulate them for having the courage to want to do this and extend these opportunities to the students and to their fellow travellers. And the biggest thing, especially for the first time group leaders, reach out to your tour director. Now, I personally get on a Zoom call and before it was Zoom, I used to actually call them and have a conversation with my group leaders just to put them at ease because sometimes that one conversation can, you know, be the equivalent of 50 emails backwards and forwards. Now, my tour director colleagues will be like, Osludge, why are you saying that? We're so busy sometimes. And it doesn't always work out. But please do not hold back on 
reaching out and asking questions, know that there is no question that we haven't been asked <laughs> that that could surprise us or that can floor us. So please don't ever withhold asking questions for fear of it, how it might be perceived. Um, but I would definitely say the biggest thing is just trusting that your tour director is the local. Um, leave the expectations at home. You've come to a different part of the world because you want to experience differences. If everything was the same as home, there'd be no need to leave. And so you're 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 doing this adventure because you want to actually allow yourself to grow. And growth comes from stepping out of our comfort zone. Um, I think one of the things that I really do encourage group leaders who are seasonal group leaders is to also not have the expectations of, hey, I was here last time and this is how I did it. Because we live in such an evolving world, um, you know, I could have two tours that are the exact same itinerary. Let's say two group leaders have signed up to do the exact same tour and they're operating back to back for me, but they're, you know, two weeks apart. And the flights, um, one has the group arriving at 6am in New Zealand and one has the group arriving at 6pm in New Zealand. Our whole time in New Zealand is going to look very different from one group to the next group because of those flights. And so needing to be flexible and really trusting the, the experience that your tour director has. Um, you know, I think the other, the other tip that I would say is it's really important to, to establish a rapport with other group leaders because sometimes you do not have an exclusive group with just your passengers you might be a blended group and I think it's beneficial to just have that meeting or that pre-little pre-tour talk of what the expectations are so that you've got a united front on how you wish the tour to, to run or what the expectations are, particularly when we've got students. It's different when we've got adults, um, but when we've got students, you want to make sure that everyone sort of on the same page of what expectations That are. is unbelievably true. And I'm sad to say I've never done that. So whenever I arrive on site to begin the tour and I don't have a big enough group to fill a bus, I'm meeting the people yep. for the very first time. And when I run my program, I have very high expectations for my students and I hold them accountable. Um, and yeah. I have found that other group leaders are very laxed. Some can be very laxed and, you know, the whole issue of drinking on tour and minor drink. What's the drinking age in Australia? It's okay. 18 in yeah, Australia. 18, um, yeah. those sorts of things. So that is really important to know where your other, the other group leaders might stand on those sorts of things. And then also I know that my groups might want a specific um, adventure or a specific experience where it'd be completely different from what the other group might. I remember you took my students surfing and, uh, and we yep. did a whole lesh lesson, um, surfers paradise. Is that the name of the town? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I love that moment. I'll never forget the instructor, uh, before we started going out into surf, he actually said, now, um, just to let you know that sharks tend to feed at dusk. And I look around and that's when he's taking <laughs> us out. I'm like, oh no. But anyway, um, I just remember that there 
the other group leaders, um, not all of them were into it. And so it definitely is a dynamic that if you know who these people are leading up to this, because you're living with them 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've got different rules that apply because sometimes you've got group leaders that have got family members. And so now the parents are making decisions for what the students can or cannot participate Mm -hmm. in. You've got some that say, well, no, it's a school troop and the legal age is 21 in America, so we're observing the school rules. You've got group leaders that say, we don't want any adults drinking, even though there's adults on board. So just to have that conversation at the very beginning, to be able to be respectful, and you as a group leader can always reach out to your tour director and say, I know that we're part of a blended group. Um, would you be open? In, uh, the, the reason that I'm saying that you as a group leader can ask this is because some tour directors may not consider doing this. I do. I always do a group email and I say, I'd love to introduce you all and invite you all to be on a group call with me, like, you know, um, group leaders. But if your tour director hasn't offered that, you've got every right to reach out and say, I'd like to connect with the other group leaders. And that at least just makes you feel at ease because managing your your stress, managing your emotions, it sets the tone for the whole group. And I think that's a role, something that uh, tour directors are really good at in terms of setting the, the energy, the intention, the tempo, the enthusiasm. And we'd love to have our group leaders sort of meet us on that because energy is so contagious and we want everyone to be really open to the experiences and excited and to embrace the differences like how are we stepping outside of our comfort zone today what did we do that was different today you know um and I think whether you do that as an entire group or whether you break off in your small little group you know I love when you what you said earlier about the expectations you have for your students I love with group leaders have journaling prompts for their students because these people go back home and mum and dad say, how was the trip? Oh, it was amazing. But they've also gone and seen a movie and they're like, oh, the movie was amazing. And sometimes you don't know how to articulate your experience. And so what I love to do is say, well, how does this compare to what you experienced at home? How would you describe this to someone who's ever been here? And I think that's something group leaders could really help in deepening the experience from being just a experiential but also integrating what they did on the on the tour. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is is that while you're on tour, you as I said you go out of your way to interact with the kids, um throw candy at them and all these different things. <laughs> like peckish treats. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> peckish treats. Um this past trip that I took with my students to Italy, I incorporated a brand new app that I had never used before. Are you familiar with it? It's called Goose Chase. No. Oh my goodness. It's brilliant. Oh, you got to incorporate this. Um, so what I ended up doing with my students, it's a photo scavenger app. And we were doing just the, was it's known Bella Italia tour. And so we started pretty much in Venice and made our way down to the island of Capri. And at each location, I created certain challenges. And quite often I would give like an historical background information about it. So for example, when we're in Venice, I gave the history of cats during the middle ages and how Venice didn't 
have as much of a, the bubonic plague breakout yeah. because of the cats. Yeah. And so they had to take a photo of a cat. Um, or like when they were in Florence, they had to go to the boar's nose and, you know, do the, the tradition of throwing the coin in and rubbing its nose. And so then at the end of the whole trip, the kids tally up the, the points. The app does it actually. And the winning team, I would always give like a keychain with a passport, um, an airplane and a globe attached to it and say like they've made it into the world travel club with me. But um, I can just imagine you using Goose Chase. Well, see, I don't I don't know about the app, but I definitely do scavenger hunts. And um, I definitely, not on all itineraries because it can't always work depending on what the itinerary set is. But um, I, I do like, I get them, I ask questions that they then have to, in their team, run around and speak to locals. Um, I love doing it on Ev airport days because you're stuck at the airport and usually a lot of people in domestic terminals are local Australians or Kiwis um, and they run up and then they'll come back and there's a there's a bo bonus points for the first team to get the correct answers of the day but there's a running tally um, and so on the last day whichever team had the highest gets some you know get some prizes and stuff like that but I do I love getting them to um the cassowary is a very interesting bird in Australia. And so when we go up to, yeah, that's right. And so when we go to Cairns, I'm like, ah, uh, you will get, you know, points for however many selfies you can get featuring a cassowary. Now, they're not they're not going to see an actual live cassowary, but this little village called Karanda has the logo is a cassowary. So there's oven mitts with cassowaries. There's you know, aprons, there's um, mugs, and then you get all these different variations of, of selfies with cassowaries. And I know they leave that town remembering what a cassowary looks like. You know what I mean? So, yes, those sort of things are so fun. And, um, you know, again, not all tour directors maybe have the awareness of how to incorporate that, but you as a group leader, you guys are incredible teachers. These, these these passengers already have such great respect for you, which is why they're coming on this adventure with you. And that's something that you could bring up with your tour director beforehand and say, hey, how do you incorporate experiential learning? I know I know the company I work for, that is a real big focus on what we want. And we, we train tour directors on how can you incorporate engaging more of the senses and the integration. But if, if your tour director doesn't have that sort of um, offering, then that's something you can bring to the table for them. Oh, that's a great idea. So work as a team, you know, maybe the teacher yeah. has these ideas, but then have the TD implement them on tour. Yeah. So hopefully absolutely. a lot of the TDs would have a teachable spirit if a, if a teacher, like for example, um, I was doing the goose chase thing and my, uh, my TD was named Tiziano. We called him Tizzy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he knew nothing about Goose Chase, but before you know it, um, he was helping kids spot things out and he joined in right away. So. Oh, absolutely. And I think, if, I mean, I'm going to look up this app and see how I can do it because it just digitalizes my old fashioned way of <laughs> getting yeah, them to Yeah, exactly. Write and you could easily share it with the group leaders before they go on tour. And there's a free version and then there's a, a membership. But with the free version, yeah. it goes quite far. So, yeah. Amazing. That's awesome. No, I love that. And that's the idea here as well. You share ideas. 
mm-hmm. and it's like this worked well over here let's give it a go you know at the new destination yeah what sort of things um this question's directed specifically for first time group leaders and I know that a first-time group leader probably wouldn't be as ambitious to go to Australia on their first trip, but maybe maybe they would be. But um, usually Europe tends to be the the go-to place. But you and I have traveled enough that we know pretty much customs and immigration and uh, declaration forms and all those sorts of things seem to be pretty standard worldwide for the most part. What... um, are some tips that you might give first-time group leaders as they navigate with their students through immigration and those sorts of things? And yes, I, think, I am going to bring up our story. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is they need to understand that the document, like your your passengers need to understand that the document that they're filling out is a legally binding document. And the very first question it says are you aware of the contents of your baggage? Now, we all say yes, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go through customs and we find something that we didn't declare that was specifically asked, and and I will come back and give some examples, and then people go, oh, I didn't realise that was in my luggage. Well, you've now made a false declaration because the very first question stipulated, are you aware of the contents of your luggage? And that That question pertains to your carry-on, your checked bag, your backpack, your handbag, anything that belongs to you that you are the owner of, that you are bringing into that country, those questions that follow, that question number one, pertains to everything that is your personal belongings. And the biggest thing that I would say is if, if in doubt then you always answer yes, because it's always best to write yes. Let's say, um, for example, New Zealand has very, very strict laws uh, on its biosecurity. It is one of the strictest in the world because agriculture is such a big part of the economy and they've got to be really, really strict. Are you bringing in any food? And people go, oh, but it was just granola. It was just granola bar. If it goes in your mouth, that is food. (laughs) That's how simple I break it down. And if it goes in your mouth, you declare it. Because they'll be Mm -hmm. like, oh, granola's just, that's fine. But I want them to tell me it's fine because if I don't tell them and then my suitcase goes through the security machine and granola or a muesli bar I was able to bring in but I didn't declare it, I will get a $400 fine. Yeah. Because I didn't declare it. And it wasn't, people sometimes think, oh, if I declare it, I'm going to get in trouble because I'm bringing something I'm not allowed to. If you declare it and you're not allowed to, they'll say, sorry, you can't bring it in, but no punishment because you declared it. Mm -hmm. But if they find it and you hadn't declared it, you will suffer the full wrath of that. And no, I can talk my way out of paper bag, but I can't get you out of that. (laughs) Like, <laughs> so I have to use that as a segue to tell the story. Yes, that <laughs> Yes. So yeah, every single one of my travelers in that small group of 12 that I brought, it was majority of their first time ever being on a plane, let alone out of the country. And I remember this one student, sweet Bryce, um, he was so naive and so innocent and he was just it was a life's dream of his to get to Australia and to see kangaroos. He was enamored by kangaroos. 
And I remember you taking us into the shop that pretty much if you wanted a body part of a kangaroo, it was made into <laughs> pretty much anything. So my student uh, completely gravitated to a kangaroo paw back scratcher. Like if I, if I remember correctly, it was like literally the elbow joint to the yeah. paw. Yeah, of, absolutely. <laughs> of the kangaroo. He bought it. I remember he was so excited. He showed it to me after he bought it. And I'm like, okay, Bryce, that's really gross, but okay. All right. <laughs> so we left Australia and we had to go to New Zealand. And I distinctly remember that plane ride as I was handing out the declaration forms and I was telling my students, declare everything, declare everything. And you can only be so helpful, but you know, as they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So he didn't end up declaring that back scratcher. He thought it was probably just a, a normal product. But I remember there was like, do you have any part of an animal in any your bag? Any animal or products. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And so when we got there, the entire group navigates through and you went through um, beyond customs. And so you're through the doors and so we can't see you anymore. And I always linger back to make sure I'm the last one. And he was one of the last boys. And actually it was a dog sniffer who caught the Mm -hmm. paw. And um, that boy, before you know it, he was swept away and he's behind closed doors and they were glass, so I can kind of see what's going on. And he's being yelled at. He's crying. It was a big to-do. And then they realize that he has no um, parents there. And so I'm obviously the one, to, you know, in care of him. And so he, I go into the room and I just start negotiating. And just like what you just said, you can talk somebody out of a paper bag. Well, fortunately, I did talk them down. And uh, lo and behold, um, he was, he wasn't given the back scratcher back, but he wasn't thrown into jail, or, but he was, um, he did not have to pay the fine. I remember that. But one thing is they wrote him an official letter, um, from the New Zealand government declaring that he was banished from the country for five years. And, um, I remember seeing that. I mean, that's a pretty heavy that's document. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> And here's the thing, had he declared it, that is totally fine to bring in. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't exactly. that he was bringing a banned, art, you know, a banned article or a banned substance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. same when people bring in boomerangs. You know, it's a wooden article. It will say, do you have any wooden plants or anything like that? And people go, oh, but it's just a bit, it's totally fine to bring it in. But it does come from wood. Oh, so you, you just know, need I to didn't declare think it. about that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and the reason wood is one thing is because they don't want people bringing in, you picked a piece of bark off a tree and you might have insects, little organisms yeah. and insects. But the moment it's a souvenir, 90% of souvenirs have been treated in, in the respect of, you know, the, the back scratcher and or the, the boomerang. They've been treated for any nasties that might be living inside. And so they're fine. <laughs> But yeah. because he didn't declare it, that's where he got caught out, which is why sometimes when you're a young traveller or even an experienced one, um, you kind of fill that form out a bit nonchalant, not realising the gravity of incorrectly filling it out. And you've mm-hmm. got to go through your head. What do I have in my bags? And I use that plural deliberately because people go, oh, but it was in my carry-on. Are mm-hmm. you bringing it into the country? Does it belong to you? If the answer is yes, then it pertains to any form of luggage that you have. Yeah. 
So that that's a huge lesson for not only the new travelers, but definitely the group leader that those declaration forms need to be on everyone's radar. Hey, I wanted to ask you something. Um, this, this is a topic. This is a question that is, is constantly brought up luggage. It can be a thorn in everyone's side. And literally, depending upon where you are in the world, it's going to be different protocol, different expectations, different weight allotments, all of these different elements. And so I know you can speak into a lot of different areas with when it comes to luggage, because not only are you based in Australia, but you travel so much. So kind of give us your overall view of do we really need to be bringing as much as so many people think you do? <laughs> or can we actually pack light? Okay. <laughs> Less is more. Yeah. Less is definitely more because A, it leaves space for shopping, right? <laughs> you, you can go home with a lot more than what you left. And um, I'm notorious for that. But look, one thing that I do want to say is there is a, a great benefit that you guys experience in North America and that's traveling within, you know, your North American airlines where you don't get your carry-ons really weighed, okay? And that's a great perk, but that really doesn't apply to everywhere else in the world. In fact, most airlines around the world have really strict carry-on restrictions um, that are often limited to about 15 pounds combined so when you're coming with a really big backpack and a really big carry-on and a really big suitcase, one, you don't want to be lugging all of that stuff around. And if you've got a hotel room that's run by mum and pop and you need to be carrying all that up those stairs because not all hotels will even have elevators, you know, um, the lighter you can keep it, there's always room to buy a bigger piece for the for the return trip home and, and do it that way, you know. Um, but my, my biggest tip would be whatever it is that you're looking at packing, halve that and then only pack a quarter of it. Really, really minimal. I was just going to say, I was just backpacking in Europe with my son this past summer. And all I had was this really small backpack because I flew all the budget airlines and I had to make sure that it would fit in the seat in front of me because, you know, the budget airlines in Europe still make you pay for carry on yeah, and I'm right. Dutch. So I'm innately cheap. And so, and I was fine for three weeks, perfectly fine. And you can always find if necessary, a place to do your laundry. For exactly. A couple of dollars or a couple of euros, but the hassle of having so much stuff, my top tips for what you must have in your carry on. And that's on every flight you take, always have your medication with you. Have have um you know credit cards or you know those sort of your 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 charges phone charges tablet charges or the converters they're really important have those things in your carry on if you can if you can be great and really travel as light as having a backpack on your back and and doing it all that way that is fantastic but if you can't don't go looking at those really gigantic suitcases that are bursting at the seams because <laughs> you land and you've already got no room to buy anything. Mm -hmm. um, another fun tip, which is a bit out of the box, but I know someone and she's travelled around the world. She goes to thrift shops. 
She buys whatever she needs for the trip. She wears it once and leaves it behind. She doesn't have to worry about doing any laundry. She's yeah. not, atta- not attached to the clothes. <laughs> and every destination provides more room for more souvenir shopping because that's what you want to be going home with. Exactly. I, I got to quick share this story because I just can't not. <laughs> my brother, my husband and I, we used to live in Prague. And my brother and his wife came to visit and he took on that same idea, but he only had it apply to his underwear. And so, <laughs> and so when I said goodbye, because they were then going on to Italy, um, I remember distinctly going into the bathroom and then just seeing a pair of his underwear because I didn't know that he was going to be doing this. <laughs> like, why is there underwear in my uh, basket? So, yeah, you might want to leave all that stuff discreetly behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I think um, people overpack. And if you ever got desperate for something that you're missing from home, it's a great opportunity to go and buy that sweater that says, you know, New Zealand or Australia or or Paris or whatever. Um, But if you're coming with everything and talk to your roommates, if you're going to be sharing and you know that you're going to be sharing, especially with the students, have one of you bring the hairdryer, have the other one bring the curling iron, have someone else bring a big containers for shampoo and conditioner. You don't need three of everything in the same room with three people. So if, so if you know who you're sharing with, sort of, I mean, my sister and I do that when we travel together. She's like, I'll bring my hair straight now. I'll bring it. And then I'll say, okay, well, I'll bring the hairdryer. We don't need, we don't need both. We're not going to be in the bathroom at the same time, you know, trying to use it. So, um, you know what I actually use now instead of shampoo, I use those shampoo and conditioner soap bars. Those are amazing. Oh, yeah. 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 And then you can not, you don't have to deal with the TSA and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. You're not dealing with the liquid restrictions mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. But no, less is more. Check out what your airlines are because what you have become accustomed to in the US, which is not having your carry on checked, is not the case for the majority of the rest of the world. I was just in South America, as I said earlier, they were checking at the gate to make sure that my carry-on was under 15 pounds and that was combined. And there's nothing worse than having to check your luggage at the gate because you're paying higher fees. So, yeah. Does this include the actual flights when they're cross-Atlantic or cross-Pacific? Or is this when you're taking the small flights within the country? This is, I mean, you want to fly between Australia and New Zealand. That is a three-hour international flight. They will check mm-hmm. your bags at the gate. And if you are overweight, they will say, we're sorry, you're going to have to pay to check that as an additional piece. Mm-hmm. So this is across the Atlantic. I mean, I you know, flew Sydney to Santiago and they were checking our bags at check-in. Sorry, at um, boarding, when we were boarding. They weigh your bags at the gate. Wow. Wow. They're really cracking down. I wonder if it's like a, a post-COVID thing. Look, for our region, it's always been the case. We've always had strict and it's been the biggest thorn in it, in a tour director's side because you guys arrived, you didn't have your bags checked and now we're enforcing a rule on you that you didn't realise existed. So become aware of it and less is really more and leave space for the good stuff. Leave space for the gifts and souvenirs you want to take home. Yeah, definitely. All right, I want to talk about we mustn't forget about these unsung heroes on these tours. So we've been talking about the tour director, but 
I've also had some of the most fantastic bus drivers and then local historical guides. Yes. So what would you like to tell people about their role and their importance and the the dynamic that they add to the overall experience of the trip? I mean, those historic historic tour direct or tour guides in special locations, you know, in Australia, you'd come to the opera house and you would have that opera tour, the tour of the opera house led by someone that is employed. They are a walking, talking encyclopedia on all things pertaining to that specific topic. That is what they specialize in. So engage with them, ask them questions. They are, you know, showing visitors this part of their world day in, day out, and they will know it better than anyone else does. Um, your driver's perspective is so different. Some countries, the drivers used to be tour guides. Before we had tour directors, the driver was the driver and guide, and they are oh, wow. a, a wealth of knowledge. Then we phased it out and sort of separated the two roles, but um, they have their finger on the pulse. They they know what this environment looked like and how it's changed. So, and they really appreciate being seen. You know, it's it's so interesting to observe how many people get on the bus and they don't even say or acknowledge their their driver. And that oh, really know. that bothers may, me. That really bothers yeah. me because we wouldn't be seeing anything if it wasn't for the person no. behind the, the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Whatever country you're in, learning a few of those local phrases of how to greet someone or how to say thank you, you just watch those drivers' faces light up because they don't get the same level of interaction with the the travellers because they are facing the front and driving, but we wouldn't be getting anywhere without them. No. So they play such an important role to show, show us and... And they're always flexible. And if you're kind and considerate, and this applies to everyone and everywhere, um, they're more willing to help you out. You know, they do have really strict um, driving hours, driving hours, yeah. which are enforced because they are only allowed to legally drive within a certain set of hours. So when how many hours them, is it in Australia? I believe it's twelve, oh, um, Australia okay. and New Zealand, but I think it varies in Europe. Um, yeah. When I was in Italy, it was eight. There you go. And when they have a break, you know, when you stop to use, have a comfort stop on a traveling day, that 30-minute break only starts from when the driver is off because he or she needs to have a full 30 minutes off in order for it to count. 28 minutes Mm -hmm. doesn't count in their logbook as a proper break. And gone are the days where we were handwritten writing things in a logbook there is a piece of paper that goes on the um, in the vehicle and it records or the GPS records when the vehicle was on and when the vehicle was off. So be really respectful when you're getting off at these stops that until that driver is in off, that break doesn't start. Mm. And, and it ultimately eats into your time and it eats in your cause time. potential delays. We experienced that um, in Italy. We... Our driver, um, there were some issues and that really cut into our time with Pompeii. And so we only got to be in Pompeii for like an hour and a half as opposed to the original three hours. And that was a huge disappointment, but it was out of our control because yeah. of that clock. Mm-hmm. Because that clock is very real. And I know of drivers that will pull over, take the keys out of the ignition and that's it. Because they cannot risk going over those hours and 
Um, yeah, their license being, will be being, revoked. Yeah, if they're in breach of those hours, that is how serious it is that they, they are then losing employment. So yeah. just be really respectful when your guide is giving you these timings and understand that every every element has been factored in um, for that driver because you can't go anywhere without them. So they're yeah. really important. Well, speaking of important tour director, local guides, and bus drivers, you guys, specifically the TD and the bus driver, you really become family on these trips. And you are working. You're the first one up. You're the last one to sleep. And I want to talk about and really stress the importance of tipping you guys and being generous and going above and beyond even what you might think um, you should actually be tipping or might be required. And so, um, I don't know, do you want to speak into that whole world a little bit? Thank or? you. Thank you for raising it because yeah. um, we really do rely on gratuities. It is mm-hmm. very much an industry that still has that main focus. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really unfortunate is that there are some group leaders that in an, in an ideal situation, I would recommend that the group leaders collect the gratuities at the very beginning before you've even got on the plane because Mm -hmm. you then know that everyone's allocated that and and then some. And if you feel that you have received service because we're all trying our best to go on above and beyond, that minimum recommendation that comes from the the tour company, that minimum recommendation is based on that subsidising our wage. Mm. So the minimum but if you mm-hmm. get someone that's above and beyond, it might be an additional $20 per person, but to that tour director, that could equate to $200 or $300 extra, and that could really make, mean the difference for them. Yeah, definitely. What, what is regrettable is when you have group leaders who don't necessarily feel comfortable in asking for that up front, and then they wait to the last day, and then they pass around an envelope, and everyone just puts a loose change that they've got left over. And I, as the tour director, who have worked months before you've even arrived, months before you've even arrived with all my pre-tour confirmations, you know, we are booking the hotels. We are the ones that are booking your drivers. We're the ones that are booking the timings at the opera house or or wherever. Our work for our tour starts before you've landed, well and truly. And then you get this little bag and you just... It's it's insulting to be honest. I've actually I I really really remember that. And you've worked with me, and you know what standard I bring. And I got a bag of coins. Oh, sludge! Oh, that that's horrible. That's criminal. Oh my goodness! You know, for the longest time when I was in college and high school, I waited tables, and we would make an hourly wage of $2.35. And so it was the tipping that was your livelihood. And so that is everything. And so, you know, anytime you're in the world of service, um, I think people forget that those tips are your livelihood. And so that's huge. So I personally always make sure that um, I collect all of the money and delegate it into specific envelopes and give it to my chaperones. And so they have a certain amount of money. So we distribute the money. So not one person is carrying this huge amount. That's perfect. And then great way to do it as it's allocated. And as the local guides appear, and then, you know, sometimes the bus driver switches out 
then we'll pay as we go. But yeah, wow. I honestly can't believe that somebody actually Oh, did that. It, it's more frequent <laughs> than you'd realize. Or you just get a card, thank you. And 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 and, and that is very real. And it's really devastating because we give our all and that is, and, you know, here's the difference as well. If you think about it and we're on a 12-day tour and I have 20 people and next 12 days I'm on a 12-day tour with 40 people, you are still going to get the level of service that you're going to get from me. But my income now has been halved because my group is so much smaller. And so that that is another factor that people don't consider, and that's the same as when you're in waitressing. If you t- served a table of six versus a table of two, that is going to be there's going to be disparity there. That's going to impact what gratuity you receive. Um, and you know, people often ask the question: Do you want it in local currency? Do you want it in US dollars? Um, you know. Personally, whatever's easiest for you, I think US dollars is fine because it's something that we, as tour directors, we get often um, and, you know, that's just, but that factor, I know sometimes now group leaders don't want to be carrying the cash and I know people who say, could I pay you via PayPal? Um, And that's an option as well. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I would would really stress is to collect that at the very beginning. Have some extra on the side because any anything that your tour director gives you, like those peckish treats that I invest and I share, I don't get that subsidised. It's like teachers. Anything you bring into the classroom that you want to enhance a learning experience, that is coming out of your pocket and your generosity. It's not something that you get subsidised. And so... Um, Thank you for raising it. It is something that it's it's an uncomfortable thing because we don't want to ask for something that. Yeah, but it's your salary. salary. I mean, plain and and simple. You, and especially since we're dealing in a post-COVID world where your industry was hit so and like yeah, literally ravished, yeah. right? Um, so you're having to make up for Absolutely. lost time. Um, literally years, right? So, um, hey, I have a question have, because this has always been like a fear of mine as being a group leader, that have you ever had somebody steal all of your tip money? I mean, that's one reason why I allocate the envelopes to all the different chaperones. So none of us have any huge sum, but has that ever happened on tour? No, I've never, ever had any group leader have anything stolen and you would be surprised it's on some itineraries and you would be very surprised european tour directors sometimes the amount of money we are actually carrying ourselves because there are certain places that we have to pay in cash i know this in europe and people would be none the wiser but no i have not had any instances of um of anyone stealing i have had an instance where I know full fact that the group leader had collected the money from all the passengers, did not give the money to the tour director. It was then raised. Embezzled yes. it? Oh, yes. no. Yes, that has happened. What happened? Did they get away with well, it? The, the, it, was, it? It was my experience, and I remember calling EF and saying, I didn't get a dollar, like, at all. And um, I became really good friends with some of the other 
adults on the tour and they're like, but sludge, we gave the group leader, we we all gave money and they collected it. And so based on wow. based on those first count, first hand accounts of them actually giving for the tour director fund, um, I had a base to actually take it further. And um yeah, I um Wow. They that's, followed it up. That's something that and wow. I was just gonna say that's something that I, I never even no, thought of. Like you do this, I, I as I said, in my nineteenth year. So there's very that that's why I say there's very mm-hmm. few scenarios or very few questions that someone could throw at me that I have yeah. <laughs> not encountered. And yeah. some of them have, and, and look, <laughs> I'm not focusing. I've had very generous people in my career who have seen the value of our drivers, our local guides, of of our tour directors, and they have uh, graciously remunerated us. But uh, the pendulum swings both ways, and thankfully those other occasions haven't been as frequent. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. You know, in regards to um, having the money stolen, I do have a very close call story that I could share. Um, I'm so happy that uh, we no longer have to take night trains, aka Mm. nightmare trains in Europe. That's right. Yeah. And I was on a night train, nightmare train from Paris to Florence. And I was in my cochette with three other chaperones. And I, it was like four in the morning. And I, I remember actually at midnight, I dead bolted the door. Like I checked it and then I did it again to make sure it was completely sealed. And then I'm like, okay, I can go to sleep. And at 4 a.m., I woke up to a man's face about five inches away from me. And I just shrieked. And I just started screaming, like, get out of here, get out of here. And he's like, oh, pardon, madame, pardon, excusez-moi, excusez-moi. And he quickly backs out, right? And oh my goodness, talk about a heart attack. And so um, when everyone instantly woke up and the man was gone, they're like, what's happening? What's happening? Well, each one of the chaperones started asking, have you seen, can you get my purse? Where was my purse? Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. All of their purses had been stolen except for mine. I was sleeping with it under oh, my head. Wow. Yeah. I always kind of, that's like a rule of thumb oh, for me. Wow. All of their purses. So all of their passports, all of their cards, all of their cash, and all of the tip money. And except for the small allotment that I had carrying. And so I here I am, the only adult on tour with any sort of access to cash or, you know, documentation or anything like that. So one of my, actually Maggie had the idea, you know, Maggie, um, she had the idea of, uh, you know, a lot of times these people, they just want the cash and then they drop just quick, you know, grab and drop. And so let's start looking at the different train cars and check corners and bathrooms and stuff. So we start doing this and we're about six cars, train cars away from our cochette. And lo and behold, there is a pile of the purses and the passports, thankfully, were there. The credit cards were there. All of their personal cash was taken between the three women. It was about 800 euro. But then all of the TD and bus driver tip money was there still because it was in these normal envelopes. They just, they didn't think to open the envelopes. 
They just thought it was letters. <laughs> exactly. So disguise your tip money, <laughs> especially if you're Gee. traveling through Europe. But man, that was uh, that was a scary thing. And we called the police. They got involved in Florence and they suspect that it was an inside job because for them, because several of us had, several of the cochettes had been um, broken into and everyone had dead bolted it. So, um, so there yeah. was some way to access that that they, mm-hmm. that they shouldn't have if you were mm-hmm. a regular passenger. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so. on, on that, you know, now with technology, I've had group leaders that have said, could we PayPal you instead? We don't feel comfortable carrying cash. And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. Do you have Venmo had... in Australia? Venmo? No, we don't. Okay. No, we don't here. I think it is in Europe, but we certainly don't here. I've had people on day one say, I'm going to give you 50% now because I just don't want to carry all of it. And I was <laughs> like, I haven't done anything yet. And they're like, yes, you have. You already have. <laughs> you know? Um, but I think it's great when you can distribute it amongst the other group like the other chaperones Mm -hmm. um, because it also just feels more comfortable use the safes in your hotel rooms you you think that those are safe no pun intended but do you really trust those yeah I mean well look again our part of the world yeah um, we don't have to worry about pickpockets and and things like that you know so it's it's different to other other parts I know Mm -hmm. when I'm I mean now when I was in Brazil I was really aware of where my personal items were on my body, you know, and what did I take out and what did I leave in the hotel? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it varies from place to place, but um, gosh, be, yeah, if you can spread it out, that just takes the, the burden of responsibility off one person. Yeah. I actually, uh, the very last meeting that I hold with my travelers, I title it the Bon Voyage meeting. And it's usually no more than a month out, maybe three weeks out from departure. And I always collect the money then. And so people are thankful because they don't want the hassle and the headache of having to remember to do the tipping. And and that's something that's really important um, to make sure that you either talk to your tour director or your um, within the tour company that you use, uh, ask them how many local guides, because depending upon the cities that you're visiting, like Rome, you have like three local guides in one day. And so that's something to know your numbers. Can I also make the suggestion with credit cards? Yeah. Carry more than one, but don't have both of them in your purse. Mm -hmm. Have that one that is tucked in to the carry-on suitcase. You know, that you don't even want to pull out. But if anything was to happen, you sometimes get a dodgy ATM that eats your credit card. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's really simple to call and cancel that card knowing that you've got another one as a backup plan. Or have a have a debit card, get PIN numbers because you can actually use credit cards and do a cash advance if necessary if you have a PIN number. A lot of people from America do not have PIN numbers on those cards and then you can't take money out from the ATM because you don't have a PIN number. So or just an, ask you. Yeah. Another thing is there's those prepaid credit cards and I've found that those do not work. A lot of times, you know, especially with students, they don't have a bank account. account. So the parents just go ahead and get them one of those prepaid visa cards yeah. and same issue. You can't withdraw money from it. And a lot of times the, at least in Europe, um, I remember so we, many students. We have trouble was it being here accepted? as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. we we have trouble with it as well. So 
bring more than one, but also make sure they're not in the same place in case that emergency happens, that you misplace it or you lose it or or it gets eaten out of, you know, eaten up by an ATM machine. At least you have a reference point that you can go to the emergency one and use that. So that's another tip. The, the emergency cards, having it separate, um, having a passport, copy of your passport somewhere separate as well is always very handy, be it digital or, or anything like that. Oh, and we live in a world, and I'm doing this so you can catch a train of thought, but we live in a world where air tags exist. They are an incredible asset, such a small investment, but it helps airlines when you can actually go, hey, I can see that my suitcase is still in, you know, whichever airport. Um, and I have one in my carry-on. I have one in my my big suitcase. I have one in my handbag. Like I have, I, I am fully tagged for when I'm traveling. I actually had parents um, on the trip to Italy this past spring who put the tags on their kids. And that was an interesting feature because whenever the their child would get near me, my phone would go off and I would be alerted that there was somebody. So other phone users, iPhone users will be notified when, at least it seemed, if any random tag was nearby. You can turn that feature off. Oh, because I'm like, that's like notifying kidnappers or something. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You can definitely turn that feature off because I do not get notified by anyone else's tags other okay. than my own. Oh, are you familiar with it? Is it called RFID, radio frequency ID? That, oh. oh, this is a huge thing in Europe right now. There's a an apparatus that I, I saw it actually when I was just there this summer um, that con artists will scan up close to your purse and it will literally take all of the information off your card. Oh, they'll get okay. everything. And so I always recommend to my personal travelers that they get special travel bags with this RFID protection. And so yep. it, that is a huge thing. It's interesting. Each time you travel, there's always a new scam that you got to be watchful for. So that's, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, my friend, we, this has been such a joy to be talking to you, <laughs> such a pleasure for those of uh, people who are listening that you have no idea how we've how long we've actually been talking. We've really kind of no. been having a great time for the past several hours. But anyway, I just wanted to ask you if you had any closing thoughts, any closing suggestions, recommendations, uh, or anything along those lines that you could pass off to an experienced group leader and then obviously the novice. I honestly think that the greatest piece of advice is Leave your expectations on your front doorstep. Open yourself up to the joys of the experience. Trust that your tour director is the person on the ground that knows the pulse of what's going on. Um, embrace the suggestions that might not be on the actual itinerary because sometimes those little sugar and spice or little cherries on top that they suggest just make elevate your experience to be really local. Um, and communicate. You know, if you've got a tour director and um, or, or passenger and something's not going right, no one, 
can make changes if they're unaware of it. Mm. So the like leaving that communication from the very beginning, you can change the whole course of the tour instead of, you know, like you to find out later and, and I didn't know about it, I could have done something about it, mm-hmm. is devastating. Mm-hmm. So communicate. Um, more information that you don't need is better than having insufficient information. Mm-hmm. So over-communicate. Over-communicate. And, and don't be afraid to request and say, I would really like to have a conversation with you. Could we jump on a call and just say hi? It just puts it at ease. Last week I did that for my my group leader that's coming next week Hmm. and she had her chaperones on and it was just basic questions but she just felt at ease because Australia is such a far destination you know we're doing Mm -hmm. Australia New Zealand and Fiji and she's like I now know who I'm looking for when I come through yeah on the other side you know and it just it just changes it you feel a lot more comfortable so it makes it real too (laughs) it does it does it's going to happen (laughs) all right before we leave I want you, I'm going to put you on the spot right here. I want you to list your top three most favorite countries. Oh. Would it be easier to do your one or can you tell me? No, 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 no. Can I give you one for every continent? (laughs) Awesome. Yes. Except for (laughs) Antarctica. (laughs) Yeah, except for Antarctica. Um, So from Africa, um, Uganda. Mm. I just loved Uganda. Um, Europe is going to be a close between Italy and Spain. Um, I really love Brazil, but I really, really, really loved Peru. I had such a, like, I think it was just such a spiritual experience there. And obviously there's more to see across that continent. Mm -hmm. Um, North and Central America. I will link together mm-hmm. um, and say Mexico. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed my time in Mexico. And then from my part of the world, and I probably should say Australia, <laughs> but um, New Zealand, her unrivaled natural beauty. Mm. Um, I have been visiting that country, Aotearoa, for 19 years and I still get goosebumps. I still get mm. so struck by her beauty mother nature's brilliance that leaves me in awe and you know ever so grateful that I get to go back and see her in all different seasons and um really recognize how small man is compared to the brilliance of Mm. what mother nature provides on this planet so indeed I think that that's probably my five top top countries have you been to India yet no (gasps) I know you know it's crazy it's you know what it's honestly the one country that I've been to that changed me. Like, and, and well, in I all told honesty, you. Yeah. Well, you told I, me about that one gentleman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it honestly, you know, you, you mentioned Uganda. I was in Mozambique and South Africa. So I can say, you know, that there's huge culture shock when you go to those places, right? It just completely, um, Culture shock will never truly be experienced until you go to India. It will. It's a yeah. game changer. It's a game changer. And, so, and I will preference that I think the reason that I haven't done as much of Asia mm-hmm. um, in my repertoire of travel is because it is considered to me in my backyard. Yeah. So I've always gone further away, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, okay, and now when I can only take 
two weeks off because I usually take three months to go traveling. <laughs> okay, let's just do a much closer destination. So, well, if you ever on, want recommendations in Malaysia oh, absolutely. or Southeast Asia, you got to ask me. Okay? Yes. I'll hook you up. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Look, I think you're doing an incredible job. And I just want to say to all future group leaders and, you know, really, really seasoned ones, thank you. Because I never underestimate and fail to recognize the work you do leading up to the point, which sometimes goes over two years of pre preparing your your travelers before the actual time comes. And then we get the fun of actually showing you a good time. So always so very grateful to our group leaders. Um, without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And I kind of love the job that I have. So. <laughs> I can hear I the passion in your voice. <laughs> Thank you, Sludge, so much. I appreciate you so much. Keep doing the My good work. My absolute place. My absolute pleasure. You All too, right. my darling. Ciao. Okay. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to like and subscribe. And if you could do me a huge favor, leave a review because other like-minded teachers will find this podcast. In addition, if you're looking for great resources, be sure to check out my website, Teachers Show Me the World. When you go there, you'll find resources and additional blog posts that give other great tips and suggestions for how you can become a teacher that will show your students the world. In addition, we have a Facebook group that we would love for you to join. It's a great place to chat with other teachers and get ideas and inspire and support each other on this journey. Go to Facebook and search Teachers Show Me the World and join a group of teachers who are starting a revolution within the world of education and be the teacher who shows your students the world. Until next time, ciao!